Torah portion for uh, this Shabbat, Shabbat of Sukkot, describes the aftermath of the golden calf incident. Remember that? Moses was delayed from coming down from the mountain and to receiving the law and the Ten Commandments, and the people, panicked and afraid, built this golden idol. This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, they declared. One classic Jewish comment tracks all of the future ills of the Jewish people to this one incident, this one great apostasy committed by the people with the support of Aaron, Moses' brother, and the high priest, no less. When Moses came down the mountain and saw the disloyalty and the apostasy the people committed in his absence, the biblical text says, Vayichar af Moshe, and Moses, literally Moses' nostrils flared. He was livid with rage. And Moses threw down the tablets out of his hands and shattered them under the mountain. The passage read on Sukkot describes the final pardoning of the Israelites. For this, the worst of sins. Forgive and pardon our transgressions, Moses pleads. And traditionally, the first day of Sukkot was the day that the Israelites were finally and fully pardoned, and God restored the clouds of glory, Ananea Kavod, covering and sheltering the Israelites like a sukkah. You get it? The clouds of glory covered the Israelites like a sukkah, and for this reason, this section of the Torah was chosen as the Parsha for the Shabbat of Sukkot. Now, Moses alone saved the Israelites according to the biblical description. God wanted to destroy them. God swore. Leave me be, Moses. Literally, I will swallow them up. I will consume them and devour them. There are times in a nation's history when you can get by with mediocre leaders. We know this from American history as well. We have had some truly average leaders in the history of this country who exercised piddling leadership. They may have done some damage to the country, but their poor performance did not cause such enormous harm as to irrevocably change our history. But there are other periods when the leader in place at the time of national crisis seems indispensable to us. I often think whenever I read some book about Lincoln, and they're still coming out every year, there's still books about Lincoln coming out. I often think, what would American history have looked like had Abraham Lincoln not been the leader in that period of American history? I often think about what would British or world history have looked like had Churchill not been the prime minister in those critical years. Now, since we're in the midst of an election cycle this year, and still in the throes of a political crisis that casts a long and dark shadow over the future of our country, and let's be honest, some of these candidates running for office this cycle are truly appalling. <laughs> it's useful to study the lessons of the Torah 
with regard to political leadership. What does Jewish wisdom offer us during these troubled times? Rabbinic sages debated Moses' act of hurling the tablets to the ground and shattering them into many pieces. Who gave Moses authority to destroy God's own tablets? The sages asked. God didn't direct Moses to do that. We don't read any specific instruction by God to hurl the tablets to the ground. Moses seems like he did it on his own. And the rabbis detected a hint of annoyance on, God part, on God's part in the following verse. Vayomer Adonai Moshe. And God said to Moses, carve two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I, God, will write on these tablets the words that were on the first set, Asher Shavarta, that you, Moses, destroyed. Asher Shavarta, you, Moses, broke those tablets, you shattered them. I, God, according to the sages, read into this verse, I, God, didn't ask you to do that, you did that on your own. That's why the text says, Asher Shavarta, that you broke. And thus, the sages interpret the additional 40 days that Moses spent on Mount Sinai carving the second set of tablets as a form of punishment. The Midrash imagines God saying to Moses, Moses, you vented your wrath on the tablets of the covenant. Do you want me to vent my wrath? If I vent my wrath, the rabbis perceive God as saying, the world can't even last for an hour. Moses replied, what can I do? And God answered, you'll have to do it all over again. Forty days and forty nights as a kind of sanction, a punishment, a fine for shattering the tablets at your own initiative. So why did Moses break the tablets in the first place? Simply because blind rage got the better of him? Or was there something else going on? One rabbinic interpretation explains that Moses reasoned that the law, the Torah, was kind of like a marriage contract. It was like a ketubah between God and the Jewish people, between Israel, the bride, and God. And the Israelites broke the marriage contract and strayed according to the rabbis, even before the marriage was consummated. So Moses concluded, unless I break the tablets, Israel will come to harm. So I will break them before they see what's actually in there, before they know the laws that they have just broken. That way they cannot be punished for breaking laws that they haven't yet been exposed to. The rabbis write, when Moses realized that there was no future hope for Israel, he linked his own fate with theirs. And he broke the tablets, saying to God, the people have sinned, but now I too have sinned. You, if you will forgive me, then you must forgive them as well. What a magnificent commentary on leadership. Moses cared first and foremost about the people. Moses cared first and foremost about their well-being. He knew how disloyal they could be, but he refused to abandon them. He placed the burdens of their transgressions on his shoulder. 
It wasn't about ego for him. It wasn't about the adulation of leadership. In fact, God offered him to become the father of a new nation. Moses rejected that offer. It wasn't about getting ahead for him. It wasn't about exploiting the public trust for personal gain. He never cashed in on a Hollywood movie. He never went around lecturing at a quarter million dollars a pop. Not that there's anything wrong with that. He did write a very well-received book, bestseller, that's still selling well. But you know, God really wrote it, and Moses was simply the scribe. Public leadership was about the good of the people. And if the good of the people often comes at the expense of your personal well-being as a leader, so be it. Forgive their sins, God, or blot me out from the book that you have written, Moses demands. And Moses consistently argues with God in defending the Israelites, when Pharaoh worsened the conditions of the Hebrew slaves, Moses demanded, why do you mistreat your people? And why did you send me here in the first place? Moses took responsibility for the people who he led. Wouldn't you say that this is an important lesson for modern political leaders to absorb? Public leadership is about taking responsibility for others, not shirking responsibility. It's about owning up to your own personal mistakes. But not only that, it's about calling out your followers' mistakes, what we might call today your own political base. In the final analysis, public leadership is about values. Every election in the end is about the personal makeup of the candidate and the nation's ideals. It's about loyalty. Loyalty to principles, loyalty to values, and personal loyalty. Your own ambition is secondary. There's nothing wrong and everything right about personal ambition, even in public life. But it can't come at the expense of your duty to the people who vested their trust in you and need you, especially during times of crisis. For this reason, Moses is described as ne'eman, a word normally associated with faith, emunah. But it means more than that. Moses was faithful, loyalty, accountability, reputability, reliability, integrity. You are prepared to pay a personal and political price for standing up for me, for us, for what is right. Now, if this is not your makeup, and most of us are not this way. Fine. Do something else with your life, but don't go into public leadership. Many, perhaps most candidates for political office are highly intelligent. Some have a real 
genius for politics. They are master communicators. They are brilliant in convincing people, first, that they really are for them, and second, that our well-being is all they care about when they rise in the morning and when they retire at night. When you go out to vote next month, look beyond the superficialities of modern political campaigns and even beyond the policies you support. Look into the souls of the candidates. Will they be there for you? Will they be there for us when we truly need them? Now, we may luck out. We may elect awful people who, in the end, may not end up doing that much damage because the true test of leadership will never come. But you want to take that chance? Shabbat shalom.